cannot break through to the Spirit. With all of God's power that is in this place, I'm looking at people, I've watched people in worship, you cannot break through into the Spirit. Apostolic people, they can't break through to the Spirit. And the Lord showed me the other day something I've never seen it this way before concerning the man that was lying at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus comes walking up. And uh, he didn't come up to the pool where all the sick folk laid on the terraces going down into the water. He walked up to this man. Hey, how you doing, dude? Well, how long have you been here? Well, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. You what? And here's what the Lord spoke to me. Many of your people are paralyzed, and even when the waters are being stirred, they can't get in. And so they sit there paralyzed, move of God after move of God, and they can't move into the realm of the Spirit because their faith is paralyzed. So it's not by accident that Jesus said this to him. Pick up your bed. There's the problem. There lies the problem. You're lazy spiritually. Pick up that bed. Get rid of that bed. Toss that bed out. My God. We're not done yet, so you still have an opportunity to get what you need and what you want from God. There are a lot of things swirling around in my mind, and if I start going down the list of those things, I will never get to the message, which may be what the Lord wants Anyway, so we'll just see about that. Seeing that I don't have a particular text, or it's going to come a little bit later, why don't you just be seated? I read, and I believe it's true, because I'm speaking to some members of our church that are afraid to come to church. What are you going to do when the police clamp down on us and threaten you with your life if you walk to the house of God? Some of our members are afraid of COVID-19. I don't want to die either, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to let it keep me out of Publix. I'm not going to let it keep me out of Home Depot when I got a something I need to fix at home, and it certainly isn't going to keep me out of the house of God. Amen. And so there's a foreboding, and I can understand it in the lives of backsliders who I'm going to be speaking to today. I can understand this fear in unbelievers, but I do not understand it 
in the people of God. On the other side of that, there is an inner urging that's beginning to take place. There's a spirit of prayer beginning to grip this church. And if you're not involved in it, I'm going to tell you right now, you better get with the program. There's a spirit of prayer gripping this church. And there's still a lot of people I see that hasn't even come one time to any of the prayer meetings. You better hear from the Holy Ghost today. So a lot of backsliders right now are sensing and urging to go back to church. And the Lord let me know that you're not just speaking to those present in the building. Your online presence now has been increased. And when you speak Sunday morning talking to me, you're going to be talking to people that you have never met before. You're going to be talking to backsliders that's moved into your area from up north somewhere and have never been to church since they lived here. You're going to be talking to people that's backslidden out of your own church and they won't come for whatever reason. You're going to be talking to backsliders and to prodigals when you preach on Sunday. And I'm going to tell you something else the Lord told me. Some of the people on our own chairs are backslidden. You haven't talked in tongues in so long, you have to look it up to find out what it even means in the Bible. And one of the things I pray all the time is, God, don't let me cross that threshold and then find out that something was wrong in my spirit or in my life. You fix it right now. You take care of it right here and right now. So I highly recommend that you lend yourselves to the gentle urgings of the Spirit. And it is gentle. God is not going to lean on you. He's not going to make you uh, pray or become a part of this, this move of God that's taking place in our midst. But I suggest that you run, not walk, to an apostolic altar the first chance that you get. With that said, if, if I asked you the question, I don't know why I'm supposed to ask this. I have no idea. But if I asked you what character of the Bible, thank you, sir, if you could pick a character out of the Bible that you would like to be, who would it be? Now, I know all you guys, you're immediately thinking about Solomon. I mean, it's understandable. I mean, he's... The wealthiest man that's ever lived, and he had a harem of a thousand of the most beautiful women in the world. No, not me. <laughs> it's no wonder that they drove him insane. So while you're thinking, going through the catalog, deciding who you're going to be, and now you can't be Solomon since I've said that, I want you to consider the end of the person that you would choose to be in the Bible. Consider their end, not their beginning, not their middle, not the life. Consider their end. And I suppose it's uh, related to what we're going to talk about here today. The Scripture says, it's not our text, Mark 8.36, For what shall it profit a man... If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. 
So people who turn away from God, lest there be any of you in evil heart, the Bible says, and we're going to read that in a moment, they don't give up their crown, they don't trade in the promise of eternal life or anything remotely similar to that which Solomon had. They sell out for so much less. Okay, so you get to sleep in on Sunday morning. It's not going to be much of a consolation when you're in hell. So consider the end of the person and what you are willing to sell out for. There have been a thousand times Sister Bruce and I could have backslid one another direction, went an easier route. But Jesus did so much for us. He sacrificed so much so that our sins could be washed away and we could receive his precious spirit. How on earth could we ever turn around and walk away from him for any reason? So Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You don't have to leave the church building to depart from the living God. Just stop praying. That's departing. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, my God. Hardened so that preaching does not affect you anymore, so it doesn't reach you, so that the power of God in the service doesn't move you, doesn't bring you to tears, it doesn't make you dance, it doesn't make you shout, it, won't, it doesn't make you sing, it doesn't release you. Hardened, become hard. One of the things that's always present on our minds is, and it is a source of great sorrow, and that is thinking about the people that, once lived for God and walked away from this truth. Thinking about those who used to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ alongside of us, and yet for some reason they have lost their way. But when you're born again of water, that's baptized in Jesus' name, by the way. And when you're born of the Spirit, when you receive the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, you become a part of a family. And I'm not talking about a congregant family. That too. You become a part of the family of God. The family of God. You have brothers and sisters who you will not meet till you get to heaven. They have been long past from this earth, but they're part of the family that you were born into. There are people around this world you will never meet that are apostolic, one God, Jesus' name, living a holy and righteous life. You will never meet them till you get to heaven. We're part of a family. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And as members of this unique family, our ultimate and accumulative goal is to one day after we have fought the good fight of faith to lay hold on eternal life. I'm going to tell you, when I have five breaths left, it won't matter uh, the house I lived in, it won't matter the vacations that I've been on, it won't matter the cars or trucks that I, that I owned and drove throughout my life, the only thing will matter is what I'm going to meet after that five breaths are gone and I breathe the last one. So I'm convinced, I can't document it, I can't prove it, but I believe it, that the most miserable People in hell, if you could be more miserable than anybody else, are those who at one time 
were in possession of heaven's promise but forfeited their crown or lost it somewhere along the way. And to have been that close, that close, and to have missed it, I'm sure will cause those to live with eternal regret on an unimaginable scale. You may be thinking, some of you that are even outside watching this uh, online, you may be thinking, you don't know what I've been through. Well, I think we ought to sit down and compare notes. Amen. And that you're right, I don't know what you've been through. The Lord's even helped me to forget some of the junk that we've been through. Thank God for that. But there was a woman that went to King David on one occasion, and she had a statement to make to him. She was there for an expressed reason, and she made this statement. This was at a particular time when David's son Absalom was in exile. He had not uh, seen his father for a quite a few years, was not in Jerusalem, but was in exile. And, and uh, this woman came and sheepishly stood before King David's throne, and she said the following words to him. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14. She said, For we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. Now the fact that this woman was sent by Joab to bring Absalom home does not negate the veracity of her statement to the king. And so, uh, standing here before you, I do not know what you believe. I do not know what you know. I don't know what you think. What I do know is this, that God is trying to bring as many of his lost children home before the end comes. That God is working in your life He's working in your mind. He's working in your heart. Those urgings that you have felt, those gentle urgings to return to the house of God are from God trying to bring you back home again. And so I have entitled this message, Gone But Not Forgotten. Gone But Not Forgotten. And so I would like to direct your attention to a very unlikely hero. You know that the person or persons that God is going to use to bring apostolic revival in the end time may be backsliding at the moment. They may be out there somewhere living in sin, having once known this precious truth and been filled with this precious spirit, but when God brings you back, God is going to put an anointing upon you and it's going to be released among some apostolics that have become cold and complacent in the things of God. Ah, God's going to use you in a mighty way. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time would not, or the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. And of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. There is a surprising comfort in all of this, in the fact that we read here 
uh, in the Word of God that God called and used ordinary men and ordinary women to do extraordinary things. And I can honestly tell you, uh, a man that does not possess charisma, not an ounce of charisma, I'm about as ordinary as they come. And why God called me to preach, only he can explain when I get to heaven. But I know that God can call ordinary men and ordinary women and use them supernaturally to demonstrate his power, his mercy, and his grace. Many of the men and women uh, that God called and used in this particular way, uh, in fact, most of them uh, possessed glaring flaws. I mean, they weren't subtle. They weren't hidden out of the way somewhere. They were glaring flaws, and they possessed discernible weaknesses. Uh, I quoted Morton Buster. We've been talking about him today, a well-known UPC evangelist, and he made the following statement. He said, Jesus calls the passionate, not the perfect. Heaven's Hall of Fame is lined with portraits of heroes with handicaps. A defect doesn't make you a reject. There's no better illustration of this than Samson himself. If there's ever a man in the Bible that fits superhero status, it would be Samson. Perhaps some of you guys are thinking, I'd like to be like Samson. Once again, consider the end. Personally, I've always thought, and I mean that, I've always thought that it was strange, having read and preached about Samson many times, that he would be listed in the 11th chapter of Hebrews among these great heroes of faith. Because what Samson possessed in physical strength, he lacked in moral judgment, perpetuity, and character. While he remains one of the most prolific, one of the most interesting and colorful characters in the Bible, we find nothing about his life that serves as an example of how to live a righteous life for God. He never built an altar. He was not an ardent worshiper of God. He was not a benevolent man. A lot of other things he wasn't, plus we only see him pray one single time. If we know anything about him, from the biblical account of his life, he was a man that was self-centered. He was self-absorbed, not to mention his open disregard for the moral laws of God. And I'm sure after going through these things that there are those that could misconstrue all of this and think that I can live a loose life and an immoral life and still be used of God. There are a lot of people that will read this and say, see, I can still cheat on my wife and I can still lie on my, on my taxes and I can still do this and I can do that and still go to church and talk in tongues and all of that. Let me remind you, the Bible says today's going to come when tongues will cease. So a lot of people will read this as permission that I can be carnal and get away with stuff and still go to church and feel the presence and power of God. 
course, only the most foolish would see this that way. Only the most forward would form this uh, conception of the word of God. Nevertheless, in spite of his glaring weaknesses, Hebrews chapter 11 places Samson among some of the greatest men of the Bible. He didn't get honorable mention. He was placed in the hall of fame of heroes. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson. There he is. And Jephthah of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. My goodness. He was placed in the hall of fame. His beginning is interesting. It's also rather unusual to my knowledge. My mother was not visited by an angel. Not an angel of God. She might have been visited by the other kind of angels, but not the angel of God. And she proved that as as we tried to serve God around here, didn't she, Sister Bruce? If anybody tried to turn us away from God, God rest my mother's soul, it was her. But even she couldn't do it. Even she was unable to do it. So his story emerges from the stormy history of Israel, and I say stormy because it is found in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges is where we read about the roller coaster ride of Israel. They would fall into sin. God would call a judge, would anoint him, give him directions. He would, he would deliver the, the children of Israel from their taskmasters who God had sent to, to conquer them. And then that judge would lead them in revival. The sin of idolatry and the sins of Israel would always result in two dynamic responses from God. Always, every single time. Go read the book of Judges. First of all, it would cause God to send them a nation mightier than they were to conquer them. And when they conquered, they conquered. They killed. They mutilated. They ripped babies out of mother's wombs. It was horrible time after time after time. And they never learned. And then they would become servants and slaves and subservient to this conquering nation. And it always resulted in years of very harsh treatment by their conquerors until the people of God would wake up and go, hey, wait a minute. Maybe if we start praying again, Maybe if we turn to God, he will hear us and bring us out of all of this mess that we got ourselves in. And so they would begin to pray. Come on, it wasn't 15 minutes later. It wasn't three weeks later. Sometimes it was years. Till God would send them a deliverer, which is his second dynamic response. He would call and anoint someone. Generally, it was a man. There was one woman by the name of Deborah. And this judge would deliver them from their enemies. He would then lead the nation in revival and repentance and restoration and recovery from their lifestyle. And this reveals the political and spiritual environment in which Samson was born. The children of Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and this particular nation that God sent against them were the Philistines. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites were like, when I was growing up, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs. My goodness. 
And to make matters worse, Harry Carey used to announce for the St. Louis Cardinals, got fired by August Bush, and went to Chicago and started announcing for the Cubbies. And to this day, he is still the greatest baseball announcer that's ever lived. If you've never heard him, you need to go on YouTube and find him. He was fantastic. He was incredible. It could be. It might be. It is a home run. Man, I'm reminiscing now, but I still remember it. Still remember those words. And so it's at this time that the following transpires in Judges 13, 2 through 5. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bore not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Praise God. Besides the fact that this barren woman received the promise that she was going to conceive, which would have been a good enough promise, right? She's going to have a son. Her shame is going to be taken away once and for all. But not only that, this son is going to be born with a God-appointed destiny. Yes. To fulfill that destiny, Samson would have to accept and fulfill the criteria are the conditions, the provisions of a Nazarite vow. That was God's contingency. He's got to do this if I'm going to use him. If you think that there are no contingencies on that for you, you're wrong. If you think that it comes without a price, you're wrong. And so Nazarite vows were normally voluntary. They were normally for... Uh, Specific periods of time, could be a month, could be a year, could be five years, whatever the individual who voluntarily took on the Nazarite vow determined within his or her heart. Samson vow, however, was not for a specific period of time. It was from the time he was born until the time that he would die. A Nazarite vow consisted of three things. First of all, there was abstinence from wine or anything made with grapes. Secondly, they could not cut their hair, ever, ever. I guess uh, they read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Nazarites did, and came up with that part of the vow. If you don't think that's enforced today, ladies, you were wrong. It's still in force. The third thing, they could not touch a dead body, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. And so Samson uh, grew up with that, and so he agreed to follow the tenets of a Nazarite vow throughout during the course of his life. Judges 13, 24, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Esteol. See, Samson was revered by his friends. He's a, he's a good guy to have around when you got in trouble, when you got in a jam. Good to have old Samson around, but he was also feared by his enemies. He had nothing to do with his moral character because he lacked the demeanor and the bearing of a righteous man. But come on, he was, he was a strong man. How strong was Samson? 
Anybody want to know how strong Samson was? Anybody ever see one of these strongman contests with a lifting stick, steel ball? You want to know how strong Samson was? There was no limit to his strength. There was no limit to how strong he was. He could lift Mount Everest if God wanted him to. He was unlimited in strength. He never found anything he could not lift or move with his strength. And so he was both feared and admired, and it's understandable that there would be this contradiction or this dichotomy of, of feelings toward this particular man. But it was because of his strength. He wasn't a good joke teller. He wasn't a good speaker. He, he wasn't a, a necessarily a godly man, but man, he was strong. So his acclaim and his popularity uh, was because he was able to defeat uh, his Philistine tyrants. There are some states right now that are being shut down by some governors that are overreaching their constitutional authority. What they need is a, is a political Samson to rise up and say, not here and not now. Perhaps short, a short list of his accomplishments, and we have to make it short for the sake of time, would be in order. And interestingly enough, out of the 20 years that Samson judged Israel, it only talks about three things that he did. Now, there's certainly many more, but it's, these things are in the Bible, just a little demonstration of what Samson was capable of doing. First of all, the Bible says about a time when Samson caught 300 foxes. Now, you may not know anything about uh, nature or animals, but I can tell you foxes are some of the most elusive animals uh, in, in the wilderness. You rarely even see them. And so for him to catch 300 foxes is a feat that could not be uh, uh, completed by anybody else other than an anointed man. I mean, it was impossible to do, and yet Samson did it. And he didn't do it because he liked foxes. He wanted a collection of foxes. He did it because he was mad at the Philistines. So he took these 300 foxes, he tied their tails together, put a torch between their tail, and turned them all loose, and they ran through the cornfields of the Philistines. He just said, man, this is great. They ran through the olive yards and, and through the wheat fields and destroyed the Philistine crops. And it was great. It was great. But because the Philistines could not touch Samson, they could not retaliate against him. There was nothing they could do against him. They went and killed his wife and her father and burned them alive with fire. If you're going to pray spiritual warfare prayer, you better pray a covering over your family members. I'm serious now. Pray a covering over your children. Pray a covering over the saints of God. Because trust me, you might be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, but everybody in the church isn't. It's a lesson for us. So Judges 15 and 7, Samson said to them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And the Bible says he smote them hip and thigh, verse 8, with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etan. It's another time when the Philistines uh, re uh, retaliated. In fact, it was this time they 
couldn't do anything against Samson, so they went down and laid siege upon Judah, threatening to completely annihilate them, kill every man, woman, boy, and girl, burn, the, burn them to the ground, exterminate the tribe of Judah. And so they cried out, Samson, what are we going to do? And so Samson goes down there, and he said, you know what? They re- all they want is me. They really just want me. They don't care about you and, and burning your city down. So he let them tie him up. And they were going to tie him up and deliver them unto the Philistines. You say, well, that's not a very nice thing to do. But Samson was in on the scheme. He was in on it. And so they delivered him to the Philistines. And as soon as the Philistines saw Samson, they took him and they erupted in a rage. The entire army erupted in an absolute rage. They were frothing at the mouth of what they were going to do to this man. And suddenly the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. You need to get used to that. You need to get used to the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You need to get to the place where the spirit of God can come on you unexpectedly out of nowhere. You need to be able to walk into a room where people are praying and immediately start speaking in tongues and start praying in the spirit. Come on. We're living in troublesome times. So the Bible says where he, where he picked up the jawbone of a donkey. Biblical language. Ask, teach your kids to get used to that biblical word. And he took that jawbone and with it, Judges 15, 15, he slew a thousand men therewith. Wow, Samson. I visualized that many times in my mind. There were bowmen off to the side shooting arrows at Samson. You think arrows didn't hit him? Sure they did. You think men from six, seven feet out social distancing themselves from Samson with a long spear didn't didn't strike him with their spear. You better believe it did. Nothing would penetrate the skin of this man. What a man of God. What a man of power. Man of strength. And he won a decisive victory. But then the last account was at Gaza. I'm not even going to tell you why he was there. It wasn't necessarily a good reason, but he was at Gaza. And uh, the men of Gaza found out he was there, so they set a trap for him the next morning when he tries to leave through the gates. It's a confined area. We'll spring on him, and we will take him, and we will kill him. And so Samson somehow learned of that, and he gets up at midnight, and he goes down to the gate where these men are waiting for him. That's how bold he was. He didn't slip out a back door somewhere. He didn't slide down a rope on the side of a wall. He walked up to the gates knowing the trap is set. He ripped the gates off of their hinges. He tore the post out of the ground to which they were attached. And he carried them to the top of a hill overlooking the city and said, Samson was called to deliver the nation of Israel, and lead them back to God. And he did neither of those two things. The truth of the matter is he was an abject failure. Pretty colorful character, incredible feats of strength and 
and uh, skill on a battlefield, but he was a failure. So the sad and final chapter of Samson's life involves a seductress by the name of Delilah. It is suggested, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's suggested that she was in fact a Philistine woman. Doesn't matter one way or the other, but in any case, she conspired for money. They offered to pay her if she could find out the source of Samson's strength. Now, what she didn't know, all you had to do was pour some grape juice down his throat when he was asleep. But she nagged him to the point, I mean, miserably nagged this man to the point that he finally relented and told her that if his hair was cut, his strength would be taken from him. And so she made him sleep upon her knees, Judges 16, 19, and she called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him. Get this. She began, a woman now began to afflict him. A woman began to afflict this mighty warrior of God. That should have been his first clue. Something is not right here. And it says his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. I'm going to tell you right now, that's happened to countless people. They said, I'm going to go back to church on Sunday. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go prayer meeting on Tuesday night. I'm going to go to Thursday night Bible study. They had all the intentions of the world. They're going to do it. They're going to get back safe to God. They're going to start praying again and reading their Bible. All the good intentions in the world. But suddenly they discovered that the Spirit of God had departed from One of the reasons that we have fought the good fight of faith and remain faithful unto God to this day is because I cannot imagine and I do not want to find out what it would be like to get up in the morning and know that I could not ever feel the presence of God again. You see, in a lot of backsliders, they make that mistake because they say, well, I feel the presence of God. Look, I, I talk to Presbyterians and, and Lutherans and Catholics. They all claim to feel the presence of God. You understand, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's not the presence I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory of God. I'm talking about that kind of presence, and I cannot even imagine going through life without being able to feel that presence of God anymore. To me, it would be the worst and most terrifying uh, feeling in, in the world. And so with the strength gone, he finds himself in the merciless hands of the enemy. They loathed him. They hated him. They hated his guts. Uh, there was no affection for him at all, and it would not be long before Samson would very quickly forget about the betrayal of his precious Delilah. At first, he's probably troubled how she could betray him, so but it wasn't long before he forgot about all that because he had uh, much worse problems than that. Because they gouged out his eyes. Gosh. They gouged out his eyes. I've wondered through the years, is it possible they could not kill him? That's why they didn't. Is it possible 
There was no way they could kill this man. God would not let them kill him. You want to know why? God was not finished with him yet. That's one of the reasons I'm not afraid of COVID-19. If God's done with me, I'm going some way. You know, the doctor can pronounce you healthy. Come on, you might be 70 years old, but you're in the body of a 40-year-old, and you're going to live till you're 95. But that car comes through the intersection in that red light and hits your broadside. I don't care how healthy you are. You're leaving. You're gone. And that's the way we live. You say, well, I don't know if the Lord's coming. Does it really matter? If the Lord comes today, next week, or 40 years from now, you may not be here when he comes. So it's a race. Who's going to leave before he gets here? Either way, I want to be ready. And so the hero of Israel has eyes gouged out, and he is grinding in the prison. He is bound with fetters of brass, the Bible says, and every day he grinds in the prison. I'm getting ready to describe the life of some backsliders. I know you, you're, you're, you're not in poverty. I know all hell ain't come against you. I know you're making a decent living. You're driving nice vehicles, living in a nice house. But I'm, gonna, I'm going to describe your spiritual condition now. I'm going to describe the spiritual, inner spiritual condition of the prodigal sons and daughters who walked out of the house of God and is yet to return home. This man that was once revered, feared, and admired, now every day he's pushing this large granite stone wheel around an oak pole. And he does it not with the strength of Samson. He does it with the strength of an ordinary man. It takes everything that he's got. Every ounce of strength in his legs. His legs tremble as he tries to push that wheel in the afternoon as he's growing tighter and tighter throughout the day. He pushes this grinding wheel mile after agonizing mile. He is going in circles and going nowhere. No matter how many steps he takes, at the end of the day, he's exactly right where he started that morning. Bone weary, beaten, and starving. They would lead him back to this damp cell. And they would feed him with the rotten, fetid garbage that was thrown away from the day before. That was his evening meal. At dawn, they would wake him up, stir him out of a restless sleep, only start the same ordeal over again. I don't need to tell you this is no way to live. It's no way to live. Not any way for any man that should deserve to live that way. This once stalwart and invincible warrior of Israel is now broken in body and in spirit. If you think there are no preachers out there, they used to preach under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Ghost that are not alcoholics today, you are wrong. 
If you think there are no preacher's wives out there who used to dance around the altar and pray people through to the Holy Ghost, but now they're, they're, they're junkies and they're meth addicts and they're far away from God, you're wrong. This was our Samson who lived in complete darkness, fatigue, pain, agony, de despair, defeat, and every adjective that you can come up with. And yet when you peel off the outer pages of the book of Hebrews, guess whose name appears? I went do all of this for one reason to get where I am right now when you peel back the pages of the book of Hebrews Samson's name appears into the divine light of scripture he is not just mentioned in passing he is placed along a, a, a hallway of heroes King David the mighty King David he's placed among Jephthah and, 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 and of Gideon and Barak the prophets Jeremiah Isaiah Ezekiel Habakkuk Zephaniah Zechariah my God, how in the world, Samson, did you get from there to there? And that's my message to you backsliders and to you lukewarm and to the cold and complacent and to the prodigal sons and daughters of our precious church family. I know you're a long ways off right now. I know you failed God miserably. You brought embarrassment, shame, and humiliation upon yourself and God. But there is a way back. Thankfully, Samson's story did not end with him grinding in the prison house. Judges 16, 23, the Lord and the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. Just keep thinking that, guys. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, Get this, for they said, our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country which slew many of us. And when it came to pass, or it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house and he made them sport and they set him between the pillars. The fatal mistake that these Philistine mockers made, the fatal error was they were not mocking Samson. They were mocking Samson's God. If they would have left God out of the equation and just mocked this pathetic man who had failed God, they might have gotten away with it, but they mocked God. Backslider, backslider and prodigal, don't you dare mock your mom and dad's God. 
Don't you never mock those that speak in tongues and have the Holy Ghost. Don't you dare mock this apostolic truth or this apostolic experience. Don't do it. Don't do it. You might not want to live for God, but keep your mouth shut until you're ready to walk in these doors and get right. Don't do it. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women and that beheld while Samson made sport. Samson was led there by a, the Bible calls him a lad, <coughs> excuse me, a boy, and held him by the hand, and he said to him, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I may lean upon them. Now, Samson did not know if he was going to be able to do what was in his mind or not. But he wanted at least the opportunity to try. He just wanted one more chance to try. So, Judges 16, 28, Samson called unto the Lord. As far as I can tell, maybe you can prove me wrong. This is the only time that I can see that Samson really prayed. Maybe if he had prayed before, he wouldn't have been in this situation. Maybe he had prayed about Delilah. He wouldn't have had his head laying in her lap. He called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Didn't make excuses. There's no excuses. He said, but God, but, but if you were me and I, all this and that happened, no excuses. You can't get right with God. Oh, but, but so-and-so offended me. You can't get right with God. But you don't know what was done. You can't get right with God until you take responsibility. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house, of, uh, house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and the other with his left hand. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew with his life. Why is the story of Samson in the Bible? I'm going to tell you this story of Samson is not about the unusual manner in which he was born or came into the world. It's not about that at all. Not about his stature or his strength or his impregnability. Not about how he annihilated and humiliated the Philistines many times or how many Philistines that he killed in battle. His story really not even about his indiscretions or about his sins. Then what in the world is his story about. His whole story is about what happened to him in the last few minutes of his life. He stands between two pillars. I can't even begin to tell you, maybe Brother Khan can add something to the conversation, how many metric tons of weight set upon these two pillars, holding up the entire structure 
even if you had a large piece of equipment, it would be very difficult to move one of these pillars from their resting place because of the of what set they were compressed. I, there's so much weight. You have to understand when God anoints you, you can do anything. I wonder how much it offends God when we go, oh God, I can't do it. Oh God, I can't do it. I wonder how much God's saying, will you get off? Will you get over yourself? You're not going to be doing it. I'm going to be doing it through you. I wonder how many people end up in, in opportunities to be used of God, but the devil steps in and says, you're a failure. You ain't prayed enough. You ain't passed enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. And so you take your hands down and walk away from an opportunity to perform the miraculous. I'm made of the same junk you are. I, I've been there, done that. Well, somebody look up Brother Stone King's number and call him. What does God say? Hey, I'm Stone King's God. Call me. Don't call him. We're so personality oriented, aren't we? And so everything that happened to Samson up until that moment was a prelude. That's all it was to the real story. The story that was found in verse 28 when he called upon the Lord. He said, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. In spite of everything that God did, or in spite of everything that Samson did, God remembered him in this particular moment of time. There are people, and I know there are because God told me there would be backsliders and prodigals that are listening to this message. And uh, you think that God has forgotten you and the church has forgotten you. and It's because you're out of sight. We haven't seen you or nobody's mentioned your name and around the apostolic community for years. You think that you have been forgotten. Well, I can tell you, I heard intercessory prayer this morning in the prayer room that I know was for some backsliders. You think, you think nobody remembers you. Oh, God remembers you. I'm not here to tell you that we're going to celebrate your failure and your backsliding and your prayerlessness and whatever sin you've fallen into. We're not here to celebrate that. I'm just here to tell you God has not forgotten you. I often wonder about the interstate of a backslider or a prodigal because I can honestly tell you that, that there are times that I wonder if I'm saved. Maybe you're different. Maybe, maybe you just got this thing so down pat. See, I'm, I am so aware of, of how carnal I can be, and I sometimes am. I'm so aware of 
that I'm made of dirt, and I know God's good, and he can make really neat stuff out of dirt, but, you know, I, I get all of that stuff, and the grace of God, I don't question it, but come on, there's just sometimes I wonder if I'm saved, and I look at some people that can't reach God with a 10-foot pole, they can't touch God, and God's sitting on their shoulder, and they think they're saved. Something's wrong, because there's a false sense of security when you're backslidden. So I wonder what's going on in the heart and the mind and the inside of people that used to speak in tongues and rejoice in the spirit and have been baptized in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. What are you thinking right now? What are you thinking that you're not even in the house of God this morning? What is it going to take to get you back to church? We're going through a global pandemic. It Overnight, it could turn into a, a global plague where millions of people... What in the world are you thinking about? Oh, I wonder. I wonder if there was a window to the soul, if we could look on the inside, if your family could see, if, if your friends could see what God sees on the inside. Really, what in the world is going on? Because I was praying this week, and in prayer I said to God, Lord, if the rich man, if you brought him back, you think he'd live right? You better believe he would. Thirty seconds in hell, you can bring anybody back. They'll shave their head. They won't cut their hair. They won't eat. They'll do anything they got to do. Just don't send me back to that place. What in the world are y'all thinking? I really do wonder. It's, it goes through my mind quite a lot lately, actually. One thing that comes to mind, I'm getting ready to close, is the... Uh, Samson had his eyes gouged out. The Bible talks about the God of this world blinding the minds of them that believe not the gospel. I believe that backsliders, you don't see what you used to see when you were in church. You don't know what you used to know. This is not mathematics. This is not biology. This is not science. This is spiritual. And you out there, you think you know what you used to know. You don't. If you knew now what you used to know, you'd, you'd run to an altar somewhere and get right with God. You can't see what the redeemed of God are seeing. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass. Well, he said it this way. Look up for your redemption. Doth nigh. Really, you know what he's saying? Pack up. You're getting ready to leave town. And so y'all don't see it. I know you don't, but that's why we're here to preach this to you. Musicians, would you come? Praise God. You're gone. I know you're, you're out of sight, but you're not out of mind. You're not forgotten, and God is devising means. He's, he's trying to direct you and orient your thinking and guide you so that you will end up at the house of God, trying to deal with your heart, deal with your spirit and uh, he's not a God of first and second third chances if he was none of us would be here he's a God of 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th 30, 40, 50, 60 chances 
the Bible speaks of actually uh, more than two kinds of backsliders, but I'm going to speak to only the two kinds that I believe the Lord wants me to talk about in closing today, the first of which are, are the prodigals. According to the parable, and if our thinking, and it should be aligned with the parable, a prodigal is someone that grows up in the faith. Now, I, I came in to the church when I was 24 years old. I, even if I go out, I might be a backslider, but I can't be a prodigal. I wasn't raised in this. So a prodigal is someone who was raised in the faith. And the difference between a prodigal and a backslider is a prodigal can go back to church anytime they want. Anytime they want. And that's what staggers our imagination. That they don't want to yet. It boggles our mind. It confounds our thinking. You know, I did drugs. I did alcohol. I used profanity. I was immoral. There is nothing better than this. I've been there. I've done that. This is the best it gets. And we only pray that our prodigals figure that out for themselves. The prodigals can come back anytime that they want. And Jesus makes it ultimately clear, not just the prodigal's mom and dad, but God himself, your heavenly father, is sitting there looking over heaven, waiting, watching, anticipating your return to his house. He's not sitting there nonchalant. Well, I can take him or leave it. No, he is watching over you. The reason you're still alive, the reason there's still breath in your body, the reason you're not dead, the reason you're not laid up, crippled in a hospital somewhere, because your heavenly father has his hand on you. Mom and dad's praying for you. And God is watching for the day, the hour, when you walk into the doors of the house of God. You gotta know you're loved. I've never been where you are, but I know for sure that Satan constantly reminds you of different things that will keep you from going back to church and back to God. Tells you all kind of junk. Some of it might even be true, things you did. A lot, most of it's a lie, and it's placed in the context of negativism anyway. So you just have to know that just because you're gone, and I know you may be making a lot of money living in a beautiful home, but spiritually you're in a pigsty right now. Spiritually you're, you're, you're drinking and eating slop, and you're wallowing in the mud of the sin of this world, and God is waiting for you to come home so he can wash you down, clean you up, and put the robe around you, put the ring on your finger, and call for a celebration. If you're a prodigal, you've read the parable and you know that the, the one brother stayed home. He had a bad attitude and a bad spirit. We don't. We don't. I'm going to tell you the honest to goodness truth. We get to heaven 
and I found out a prodigal came back to, to God 15 minutes before the rapture took place. And I said, look, I live 55 years grinding it out, and I made it to heaven. This guy walks in the door, and you think I'm going to be mad about that? You think that's going to bother me one bit? No way. So if you're wondering how you're going to be received, I'll tell you, we'll celebrate. We'll celebrate. We'll celebrate your return. We'll love you so much. Amen. You'll have to say, come on, saints of God, letting up a little bit. I don't know if I can take anymore. You say, but you don't know what I've been doing. It doesn't matter. You don't know what I've been into. It doesn't matter. You don't know how wicked I've been. It doesn't matter. The other kind of backslider that I will address today are the lost sheep. Lost sheep. What's different between the prodigal and the lost sheep? The prodigal walked out the door, knew what they were doing, made a concerted decision. They're going to take their inheritance and go squandering and live in the world and serve Satan. But the lost sheep, that's not what happened to them. They just got cold, a little prayerless, missed a little church because of COVID-19 and, 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 and just lost their way. They've lost their way. I'm going to speak to some of the members of our church. We have yet seen. If you need us to come and pick you up, we will come and pick you up. If you lost your way, if you don't know the way to the house of God, you call us. We'll come and get you. Apostolic Praise Tabernacle slash Uber. Lost sheep are those that's lost their way and they can't find their way back. And I know I, I went too long, but I, I just have to kind of tie this up. Jesus said in, in Luke 15, 4 through 7, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. It doesn't matter if we're running 350. As long as you're lost, you will be on God's mind in our mind. We'll never get so big. We'll never get so high and lifted up. We'll never grow so many that we will forget the lost sheep of our church. Never. The Bible says when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. <laughs> He doesn't drag you along. Come on. When I walk free in the morning, my wife does the same thing. A lot of times we have to drag her. She's sniffing everything and she's looking at everything and sometimes she's eating everything. She won't eat her breakfast, but she'll find stuff on the street to eat and we're dragging her along. The Bible doesn't say he's going to put a little, a little uh, harness on you and drag you back to church. He's going to pick you up and put you on his shoulders. This is how he's going to be coming to the house of God with that lost sheep upon his shoulder. You think God don't love you? When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which 
was lost. And saints, don't be offended by this, but because there are lost sheep in our city, sometimes God lets us wait it out in the wilderness while he goes searching. But I need him. But but I know, but, but I got problems. Uh-huh, I get it. But I'm going through stuff. He places the 99 in the wilderness. Why? Because he knows they can take care of themselves while he's out looking for the lost sheep. Woo! So when that lost sheep walks into the doors of the house of God, he's not going to find a church that's down in the dumps and browbeated and don't know how to break through. He's going to walk in the door with the lost sheep into an atmosphere of prayer, an atmosphere of prophecy, an atmosphere that's anointed. What do you think the 99 sheep are doing while Jesus is going out looking for the lost sheep? We're praying that he finds them. I say to you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the 90 and nine just persons which need no repentance. I have one last thing to say, and that is this. If you're out there and you can't find your way back, just sit down somewhere right now and pray that Jesus finds you before it's too late. Come on, Jesus, find me before it's too late for me to get back home. Come on, let's have a little church right now. Let's have a little worship right now. Let the intercessors rejoice a little bit because God's word has gone forth under the prodigals and backsliders of our families and of our cities. Oh, we ask his more of you. Come on, God's talking to somebody. Nothing else We penetrated a heart I know satisfy it my heart We penetrated desire. somebody's darkness I know oh, it we want We found somebody grinding in their darkened prison house God said hey pray and I'll hear you for the Lord is good and is love Yes, the Lord is good forever, and I'll shout it out from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good forever, for the Lord is good and His love endures. Come on, church. Yes, the Lord is Come on, pray good for our prodigals forever. right now. We worship, pray for our backsliders. Our city is full of them.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So when you walk back in the doors of the house of God, I'm going to tell you what you're walking into. You're just coming into a room that's full of a whole bunch of people that's saved by the grace of God. If not for God's grace, somebody else would be here singing these songs and preaching this message. But for the grace of God. And we thank God for it. We thank Him for it. in this place speaks in tongues? How I many you got the Holy Ghost? You speak in tongues every day? You know what the Lord showed me this morning? I ought to save it for a message, but I can't wait. Tower of Babel. That's the birthplace of Babylon, by the way. They were building the tower. God came down, saw what they were doing. So nothing will be restrained from them. They have intended to do so. He confounded their languages, which stopped the building of the tower, didn't it? And the Lord showed me every morning when you pray in the spirit and you speak in tongues, you're tearing down what you just built the last 24 hours. Tongues. Tongues. Tears down the tower of the flesh. Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Why do you need to pray every day? Because once that tower goes three or four days, it's going to be harder to tear down every day. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all those that tuned in online. You, you may regret it now, but it's too late, right? Uh, what's done is done. We love every one of you. Appreciate you. We're praying for you. And uh, may the Lord give you the strength that you need. It's now time for you to be a testimony to your neighbors. Amen. I'm not talking about being stupid and foolish and arrogant, saying, you know, but God is going to get us through. Share your faith. God bless you. Dismiss in Jesus' name.